Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. The time has come to welcome into the world of Premier League Super Clubs a new force. An old force in some ways, mm. a blast from the past. And boy, did we delve into their past today, Murph. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> hey, on, how's it going? I speak, of course, of the great villains. <sighs> The Aston villains. The villains of Aston. Yeah. <laughs> I think Gordon Cowan was about the only player, big player in their history who we didn't cover today. Uh, yeah, Ken Gordon Cowan didn't get a mention. No. Literally everyone else did, but Gordon Cowan yeah. did. There's a lot of Irish players. Nigel Spink. Milosevic was, was up there. He, he got a mention for sure. Mm-hmm. But Ken did describe last night's win against City as the best performance he's ever seen from Aston Villa. Miguel Delaney and Rory Smith were impressed too. Villa were amazing. And... I, I remember talking to someone a little while ago, maybe six six weeks, two months ago, saying that I didn't really understand why we were assuming that Brighton wouldn't be able to sustain their challenge, that they wouldn't, you know, necessarily be in the in the mix for the top four. It was at the point where like Arsenal and Liverpool were stuttering, and he thought maybe, you know, there's no there's nothing to stop Brighton finishing second. And obviously, since I said that, I think Brighton have won once mm-hmm. and are now seventh or eighth or something. And so I'm a little bit hesitant to do the same with Villa. But if you look. At the way they play, if you look at the depth of squad they have, the variety of options, the the balance they have in the team, Villa are a really, really good football team. And they they didn't kind of sucker punch Man City. They didn't try and sit deep and defend them and, and then catch them on the counter. They absolutely dominated them. And a, a lot of the focus, obviously, because it's City, will be on... You know, do they need Rodri? And, you know, are they are they are they fatigued? Are they are they complacent? Whatever it might be. But I, I think to an extent last night was about Villa being genuinely excellent. And I, I certainly don't think there's any reason to believe they can't finish in the top four or five. And to be honest, at this, at this point, you know, early December, they've had a brilliant start to the season. They're amazing at home. I think that's 14 wins in a row. Uh, they're a little bit dicey on the road, but they are they look like a serious football team to me. Oh, it sounds like you're you're getting close to tipping them for mm. a title push there, Rory, but you're just mm. holding back. You've been burned by your Brighton experience. Yeah, I mean, the, the things that catch teams like that out are injuries. Just they, you know, they, they necessarily have slightly thinner squads than 
than the kind of established elite in inverted commas. And then Europe, because you know that once once February kicks kicks in and it's Thursday Sunday again, that is draining for players. That there's a physical load and there's a mental load, and I think those those are relevant factors. And I, again, yeah, their away form isn't amazing, but they they are capable of hitting heights that I didn't think they would be. I was really impressed. Like, like Douglas Louise is a player I've not seen in the flesh a lot. But he dominated that game yesterday. He he looked like a top class central midfielder. Kamara's fantastic. John McGinn. Uh, McGinn McGinn is a fairly unique footballer. But he, his performance he really I mean he terrified City every every time he had the ball. Bailey's a little bit unreliable in terms of his production and like his output, but he is he's difficult to defend. Watkins is a really smart striker. You know, Musa Diaby didn't start, he came on. Jacob Ramsey, who I think is brilliant, didn't start, he came on. They've got options, they've got depth. Diego Carlos looks fantastic in defence. It's hard to look at Villa's first 15 and see too much of a weakness. And yeah, they, 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 they're not going to win the lead, but there's no reason to think they'll go away anytime soon. Why is McGinn a unique footballer you describe him as there? Because he spends most of the match at like a 45 degree angle. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like his 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 instinct is to search for contact so that he can basically stick his arse into yeah. another player. And it's really effective. I mean, the number of times he spans City defenders, it was was remarkable. Like he, he, he gets the ball with his back to goal on the halfway line or whatever. And he is waiting for them to get touch tight so that he can kind of go down to this 45 degree angle and then spin around them. And there's nothing they can do. It's an, it's, it's an incredible trick. There's nothing wrong with it. An incredible trick. But I just haven't seen it that often, that frequently. Um, Miguel, I think you described Unai Emery before on this, on this podcast as not in the very top level of managers or something along those lines. Ooh. Not, not elite. That, not that elite. Not, been, yeah. not elite. It's not been picked up by Villa fans and now thrown at me. Well, look, every time I'm not, I'm, no, but I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, nobody, nobody wants to be elite these days. I mean, it's one of the worst things you can be. But, like, this was an absolute masterclass. Like, the, some of the stats out of it. I mean, I was watching the second half and I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing because I, uh, I just couldn't uh, remember yeah, seeing... Yeah. I couldn't remember seeing City dominated. What, what, what are the stats you're talking about there? Well, okay, 13 times winning possession in the final third, which is the most ever against the Guardiola team, apparently, since they've been measuring this. The fewest shots ever by a Guardiola team in the in the Premier League, well, which I guess is Man City. Um, the most ever shots against a Guardiola team. The, the 0. 0.00 expected goals after the opening 10 minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, they, they also equal, equal a... Um, you know, 92-year-old 90, um, home record of, like, 14 wins in a row. Uh, this is incredible. Like, I was watching and thinking, first of all, I haven't seen this anyone do this to Man City. Like, I've seen them lose games, and I've seen them, you know, even recently conceding a lot of goals, but I haven't seen them just dominated, continuously unable to get out of the, you know, like a boxer against the ropes who can't do anything. Uh, that was incredible. Uh really to see this guy is a genius <laughs> well I mean I um, I, I agree in terms of the performance uh, I was not a game last night I was at uh, Arsenal on Tuesday so I suppose like a lot of people last night I was watching that the, the goal shot I have on before they showed a few clips of the Villa game and it kind of became apparent well I'm going to watch this for a bit <laughs> and you're right I mean I, I, I'm just trying to think in terms of when this sort of thing has been done to a Guardiola side. I mean, the closest comparison really is when it is in his first few months at City, 
when he got beaten by when he conceded four goals to both Everton and Leicester, and that kind of gave rise to the what is tackles thing. But that was kind of different because that felt those games felt well. First of all, it wasn't Guardiola City as we came to know them. Yeah, it was it Bravo. Was still, it was Bravo City and all that kind of automatic. Yeah, yeah, and they were still kind of getting used to how he plays and that. And secondly, because of that, um, I think those two games were really. It was sort of more a case of. Villa, or sorry, of Le- Leicester and Everton exploiting one flaw in the team, which is basically that glass jaw they have in terms of uh, the high line and how how easy they are to get that. It wasn't total domination like this. And yeah, I mean, as you know, pointing to those stats, or as those stats I suppose illustrate, I just can't remember a Guardiola team obliterated like this, just dominated. Mm. Uh, but I think there's something very interesting there as well, because, uh, you know, in relation to how Villa have done uh, and Emery's um, impact. We were talking to a few people in football and like one director of football who was making the art. We were, like, we were discussing about this whole idea, especially in the context of how the game is. Um, this discussion you've had on, on the podcast itself about baiting the press and whether we're now seeing some sort of antidote say, to the kind of to the Guardiola positional play that's pretty much dominated football. And within that, we're discussing about how it's actually very rare, given football is so tactically ideological now, it's very rare for managers to evolve, especially late in their career. But Emery is now actually a counterexample. And this, is, I suppose, feeds into that wider debate about whether he was elite and all that. And I think, I mean, from what these people are saying to me, for one, like they've got basically statistical proof that Emery has never played a line this high in his career. Well, hardly like, anyone like, ever yeah. has. Well, exactly, yeah. So even, even that itself is an evolution. But I mean, I, I mean, even using this was the evidence of your own eyes. I, I watched him at Arsenal before. I was at the, I was at the famous PSG game where they lost six one to Barca. I've seen him through Spain and kind of covered Villarreal and that. And it was just it was nothing like this. It was always kind of. Football that was more based around responding to the opposition rather than imposing his own play. Now, of course, there could be breaks from that and transitions, um, but it, it was unlike anything we've seen in a, a Villa. And this, this, this does feel as if something very distinctive is happening. And allied to that as well, I think another, another factor feeding into this, beyond Emery's own coaching impact, it, it does feel, and I think this is something we've, we've seen with Spurs as well, in it, and, it, and it's... Yeah, it's probably more important, really, in terms of picking a manager than the idea of who's elite and who isn't. It's a manager that actually fits the club. So what, say, in comparison to Spurs, and even Villa themselves in the past few years, they struggled because the managers wasn't right fit. In the Spurs case, it was because they picked two managers in a row who basically thought he was bigger than the club, in Conte and Mourinho. And now they're seeing the benefit of the other side with Postacoglu because what he wants is the same as what as Spurs wants. Maybe and when Arsenal, maybe when Arsenal now, had uh, when Arsenal had Emery, they thought they were bigger than the manager well, he, in the sense that. The, the that and, and to be fair, I mean, there, there are a lot of caveats to when he came in at Arsenal as well, uh, and you could say the same at PSG. I mean, there is an argument that you should you shouldn't really base you shouldn't really judge any manager based on his time at PSG because it's such a complete basket case, and they they can't work in the way they want. Uh, and Emery, like, I mean, this is the other thing about Emery as well. Uh, it, <laughs> A lot of managers, I had to put this, are basically egomaniacs. Hey. Uh, very intense people. Where, where, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think Emery is kind of commonly seen as a gentleman who's just a, a bit of a football nerd, but in, in, that, in a, that really good way, um, which didn't necessarily mesh with a club like uh, Paris Saint Germain. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a part of it as well. Midge is right. Like, that there is, there's always been a sense that Emery's not 
quite in that top level because he's not like an, an espouser of a philosophy. And I, both, in fact, probably all of us have been guilty of this consistently through the course of our careers. But it is, it's easy as a fan, as a journalist, as someone who kind of is engaged with football to listen to the the ideologues and the the um, the orators and the rhetoricians who talk about kind of that overarching vision, the Einsteins, and the the Einsteins to an extent. I mean, to be honest, Mids and I have had this conversation previously that basically all of modern football just proves Jose Mourinho was actually the good guy, which is really weird. <laughs> but the but I think that there's definitely a, a sort of it's not it's not it's kind of whatever the opposite of anti intellectualism is. I suppose intellectualism yeah. that that prioritizes people who talk a good game, not necessarily saying that they don't walk the walk as well, but people who say, this is how I want to play, this is who I am, this is my identity, mm. over people like Emery, who are doing the basic job of management, which is saying, here are the players I've got, this is the team I have, these are their strengths, this is how I maximise them. And I do think we tend to overlook that in favour of something that seems a lot more sort of romantic and grandiose. They do, though, this Villa team have a pretty distinctive identity, and uh, like they do something very extreme in terms of they how do, they play offside. Go on. But the reason, the reason Emery has changed, I think, is because he's got the players to do it. I think if Emery had walked into Villa and found a squad that, that didn't suit a high-intensity, high-press, high-line style, which is how they play, I think he would have been like, right, well, we'll do something else then. And, and, and that is often used to his detriment, but it should be used to his credit. We, men- we mentioned how balanced the squad looks. It didn't look balanced under Steven Gerrard. No, and it's the same players. It's like the same. I'm like, look at the team that they started last night. Like, Dean was there for Gerrard, Diego Carlos. Well, he, to be fair, he, he got injured. injured. Yeah, that was a big then Martinez was there, Conza, Douglas Luiz, Sean McGinn, Ollie Watkins, Camera was there. So Camara, Leon, yeah, they signed Camara under Gerrard, yeah. So, so Leon Bailey and Yuri Tielemans of the, and Pau Torres are new players. And Carlos, I suppose, was a player who, who Gerrard never really got the benefit of. But, like, the, the skeleton of the team is the Gerrard team. And they just never look capable of anything remotely like this. I mean, I think we can we can probably say relatively safely that Stephen Gerrard's not an elite manager, can't we? Yeah. I think that, that feels like a, a non-controversial take. As yet, maybe he'll prove us all wrong at Al Etifak. But no, I think there's there's no question that Emery's got a tune out of this, this Villa squad in a way that Gerrard never came close to. There, there, there were mitigating factors. Losing Carlos, I think, was a big thing. Um, and obviously, you've got people like Ramsey who've developed because they, as they've got older. Um, but Emery is on another level to Gerard and has been for some time. Does Emery has been a you know a top class manager in in that upper echelon of management for for years and years and years? I think like Villa, he maybe gets dismissed too easily. But what they've done over the last year really has been it's funny because whenever people talk about Villa, it's always a sort of two minute nod to Villa, like ah oh, Villa are doing well, aren't they? And people are, oh yeah, Villa are doing well, and then they they draw a Bournemouth or whatever, and people forget. But the the overall arc of what Villa have done is extraordinary. It's a huge. I mean, Villa is a. It sounds like a cliche. It's a huge club. It's as it's part of the traditional elite of English football without question. And now that it feels like it's all moving in the same direction, there's a lot of unity. They're doing kind of. They've got owners who who clearly have ambition and vision for what the club can be. Villa is a kind of force, but but maybe it's just it's in Birmingham. I mean, it took me four hours to get there last night, and so there was a point when I was on the M1 thinking. Mm, I don't really like Villa anymore. Um, but the, the you know, the, and you you're approaching from the north, not the south. Just think yeah, it's trying to get from Leeds to Birmingham is a nightmare. That's mm. what That's I learned. Four last hours, night. is the, it? The, it's not meant to be four hours. I can assure you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, whether it's because it's not quite in either of the kind of traditional power bases of English modern English football, London and the northwest, it gets overlooked a little bit. But Villa are 
Villa kind of unified and with momentum is a is a big thing. Villa are a huge club, and Emery has kind of captured that, and that you feel it around the place. It, there's a real sense of kind of purpose at Villa, which you know two or three years ago you didn't sense, even when they were trying to doing quite well under Dean, well, Dean Smith. What does that mean? Sorry, the, there's a sense of purpose. Like how are you gauging that? Just from talking to fans, go, you go. There is a noise and a buzz and a crackle mm. around Villa that that comes pr- presumably from winning 14 home games in a row that, you know, when you're turning up thinking you're going to win, that's, that's what, that's what kind of manifests. And I think that's because Emery has kind of given them a sense of not, not identity, but yeah, like ambition that Villa are starting to think, actually, do you know what? We are a big club and we can act like a big club. And that, that has a power in, in and of itself. I think it, it's a sort of self-repeating cycle. Murph, I'm going to put it to you. Ken, Ken could not be pinned down. Rory wouldn't go far enough. Villa for the title. <laughs> it's only match day 15 or whatever it was yeah. you know, Emery said last night. But well, no one cares. No, no one, one cares, cares exactly. Yeah. No one cares. Uh, well, I was going to say no one cares what I think. I'm gonna, no one cares generally whether, you know. Murph, I'm going to leave the floor. I'm going to, because rather than speaking over, just say it really clearly so we can clip it when Villa win yeah. the title and you say it right now. Just give us the date. Time stamp the date there. Thursday, 7th of December, match day 15. Aston Villa can and in fact will win the Premier League. Is it match day 15? I'm not sure I've got the right match day there, but listen, it's close enough there. Today's football pod ended with a nod to Alejandro Garnacho, dubbed by my Premier Sports colleague Kenny Cunningham last night as the Ready Breck kid for some reason. Ready Breck with lashings of hot milk to soak up those natural oats, malt, and vitamins. All goodness and nothing wasted. This is the way to start the day on a cold and frosty morning. This is the way to go to school, go to school, go to school. Mm-hmm. This it's, is the it's way more terrifying. to school. Jesus. I hope nobody's hung over listening to this. <laughs> Ready break. Central heating for kids. <laughs> central. They got a lot of good taglines. All goodness, nothing wasted. Central heating for kids. Yeah. There you go. No, I, no, it, it freaks me out. On I'm sorry. The singing, children singing generally is just a, it's a freaky noise that no one wants to hear. Our, <laughs> <laughs> hello, 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 Grinch! You're going to be getting a lot of it over the next few weeks, but if it's a bad time of year to be ah, it's that weird. Way. Come on, on, admit it. Our big you Sam, know. our big Sam chat was out today. I think it divided opinion might be the best mm. way to phrase that one. So you can listen to that in full. Was it out today? Yesterday, no, it wasn't. Yeah. It was out yesterday. It was, it, it's out. It doesn't really matter mm. when it went out. It's there. It's in your feeds if you sign up to the World Service. The second captains with Sinead O'Carroll. What else have we got? Yeah, the second captains with Sinead O'Carroll and Maggie Clerk and Sportsbook of the Year Awards Show. We'll pick this one up with Mal talking about the grass ceiling on being a woman in sport by Emma Ryan. The perspective on what it is to be a woman playing sport or a girl playing sport uh, and how the the level of insights that are in here that just have never crossed our mm. minds, mm. you know, and Emma Ryan has been writing some of the, like some of this stuff has not appeared before, but she's been writing a version of it in her column in The Examiner and in various essays uh, for literary journals over the past sort of decade or whatever. Uh, and she has, she has always made me think again about how, how she can see the world, how, how it's just different, you know, and I'm actually I'm going to read a couple of passages and like this is this is the sort of stuff that that I just wouldn't you, you, you know in as much as however broad minded you try to be as a writer however much you try to put yourself in other people's shoes I could never have come up mm. with any of this right so first thing she goes uh, and and like she wrote a version of this I'd say about five six years ago but it has always stuck with me she says 
so this is how Camogie has shaped her in in her sort of three decades of playing it. And it's essentially about women and how women feel playing sport. And she says, you get to think about your body in terms of what it can do rather than how it looks. You become more engine than ornament. Camogie is the only context in which I've been praised for aggression. Like, those are three things that, like, I could never have written because I could never have thought of, you know, and it just wouldn't have occurred to me. And then she talks as well about, like, she had... A, a pretty, it sounds like a pretty tricky adolescence. She moved from a primary school that she loved to a secondary school that she took a while to settle into. And she talks about how sport, particularly camogie, saved her. And she says, I don't know what I would have done if not for sport, if not for the chance to hurt and be hurt, to dominate the person nearest to you, to pour all that anger and all that shame into hitting the ball as hard as you could. And there are insights like that throughout the book. It helps, of course, that she is a magnificent writer. Like, it is very rare that we come into this room at the end of a year with these books in our hands and get to really bathe in writing this good. You know, however well written a lot of books are, like a lot of Ty Coakley's book last year was so beautifully written. It's no mistake that these are two novelists. Yeah. Like yeah. these yeah, are yeah. two professional fiction writers yeah. who have a way with words that is just so far beyond the scope mm. of what mm. what we usually get to read here. And I think that that definitely helps that representation come across so clearly. So you get from it what. I would naturally get from it, like exactly. from just nodding exactly. in yeah. absolute recognition of what's happening. And like, honestly, at parts, I, I welled up reading this mm. at just the the relatability of it and the seeing your own perspectives on paper in such a beautiful way. Um, but I think her, her excellence in writing also helps it not be a slap in the face to totally. someone about yeah. the gender inequality yeah. of like, no one's going to pick up a book if they're like, oh, for the next 200 yeah. pages, I'm going to be told that like, we all did it yeah. wrong. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, in, she says on page four, the GA is a culture I love despite its sidelining of girls and it is a culture that needs change and I hope this book will show. But she doesn't slap, slap you across the face. A couple of pages later, she's talking about hurling being as much as a dance as it is a fight, you know, mm. and she... Um, she's she's gentle with the reader throughout. Like this was some, I, I, or not I, actually, I, I wrote this in the paper on Saturday. Like it's not it's not. She doesn't spend two hundred pages grabbing you by the no. lapels and going, "You morons, you yeah. are you are mistreating women." Oh, You've it's got so much to more understand. devastating than that. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, it's like, it's like here, like here it is. You, know Sinead, I mean? you mentioned the emotional blackmail earlier on that in Murph's book, and that there's a parallel here. Is this in terms of when she transfers club? From, it's even before that. So there's the oh, transfer okay. club, but even before mm. that, she's talking with a friend who doesn't play Kamoi, and she's grappling with what mm. what she should do, and the friend just says, "Quit." Yeah, this two is when she, she was on Just the fringes quit. of the Tipperary panel yeah. and she was in DCU and they were out for pints across from DCU one night and the Tipperary management, this was in kind of January or, or maybe late November or whatever, rang her up and said, listen, do you want to come? And she was like three pints in and she was kind of going, I don't know. And, and her friend who just, you know, is just a college student yeah. kind of went, sure, why not not do it? Yeah. And she kind of went, what? Oh. 
because <laughs> the, tra- the transferring club thing is hilarious it's, yeah. it's she moves so she moves she like in any other walk of life she now lives in Cork so she plays mm. for a team in Cork but she's, she talks about betray the feeling of betraying uh, yeah. you're looking at this going of course this is exactly the feeling <laughs> that everyone gets when they should. I, I, I would always be for money golf but I would never again be a money golf person in quite the same way <laughs> what I know yeah. Yeah, yeah. life but, is this but, but there you go I think that in women's sport as well so the pools are smaller yes. the amount of people are smaller and Emer's one of the best gotcha so like the the guilt attached to that yeah. is um it's just just bigger because the there's there's no replacing. There's no fifteen, sixteen year old mm. coming up immediately to replace you, like there might be in the football mm. if you're in a in a male team. So the the guilt is is stronger. Like and you know you will feel it more. It will probably be put on you more. Um, so yeah, th- I think that makes perfect sense to me. I'm not as good as Emer, so I would never have felt that. But I know other people in in my environment would I definitely love her, have felt uh, her, that. Her, her, and this is what makes her a great writer as well. As you know, she is she is a great great way with um, uh, metaphors and stuff like that but her eye for nuance is brilliant as well I loved when she was saying that all anybody who's been around a camogie team for a while knows when somebody is pregnant oh yeah <laughs> because the first thing that goes into the into the first thing that happens they turn up a training in their tracksuit and just stand on the side of have a bit of a back pain mm-hmm. and that a couple of weeks later it goes into the WhatsApp group actually <laughs> yeah, the back is. pain was but yeah. that for the, the three weeks in the interim everybody's going we know what back pain it, yeah, is. She, yeah, it was hamstrings or ankles on my team. Like, yeah, yeah. And you, you kind of always know beforehand. Um, my coach knew he was the first person who knew when I was pregnant because I didn't write back quickly enough to a message. And he, he was like, oh, I what? knew. Yeah, it was like for the start of the year, like whatever start of the training. Wow. And he was That's, like... He's perceptive. Yeah, he's been doing a long time, a lot of pregnancies. <laughs> do you want to do one more before we leave this one? See, um, the it was, open there. Yeah, it was just um, to kind of go back to... Actually, there's one other thing first, just because on that, like... A love letter to Camogie. Um, Emer does talk about being bullied as well mm. and having a fear of large groups of girls. Mm. So it's amazing to me that during her school school life that she had this fear of large groups of girls because she was bullied that badly. Mm. And then she was able to find solace and love in a dressing room. And she it, she talks about dressing rooms fantastically, writes about yeah. dressing rooms fantastically. She's still uncomfortable in dressing rooms. Yeah. It's not her natural environment because they're, they're loud and boisterous and there's a lot of stuff going on. She talks about the fake tan and the nails and all of that mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, everyone has a different uh, thinking in, in, in women's sport. But I, I think that as well is just part of being a woman in sport and understanding your your place in groups of women uh, a lot differently. Um, And so this is, again, a dressing room. This is one of her first dressing rooms, this passage. Um, But it's with the boys. So it was when she was still playing with the boys and they were getting their jerseys. So the the routine was they would all sit around and wait for the jerseys to be given out. It was a hot day, so all the lads took their T-shirts off as they waited for the jersey to be handed out. So she did the same. She'd usually have a vest on, you know, those little vests we used to wear when we were uh, little girls. Um, but it was really hot so she didn't have one on so she just whipped off the t-shirt and she she's said She's sort of 10 years old at this She's stage. 10 years yeah. old playing under 12 I don't remember anything being said but it seemed to me that the atmosphere in the room changed instantly The lads on the bench to either side of me moved away fractionally as far as the packed dressing room would allow The selector could not meet my eye as he handed me my jersey Seeking reassurance I looked over to the two other girls but they were busy performing a move that I would soon become adept at simultaneously removing their t-shirts and getting into their jerseys while staying covered at all times This is my first memory of feeling deep shame about my body Mm -hmm. So she thought they were all just hurlers and then at 10 Mm -hmm. she was like 
Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. So I think women's sport and women's dressing rooms gives you back a lot. And she talks in the mm. last paragraph is the mm. one you read out mm. about what Komogi has given her body mm. and what and her thought process around her body is so different. And um, yeah, they're the kind of passages that make you as a woman in sport just think, yes, this book was written. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Brady Murph, born to be a footballer. Yes. I went into this with... I don't know, reasonably low expectations. Sure. You know, I'd, there appear to be two ghostwriters, which is something I've actually never come across in my entire life. Nick Callow and Larry Ryan of The Examiner, The Irish Examiner. And I don't know the breakdown of how that worked, actually, but certainly the voice of Brady doesn't change throughout the book. But I have to say, I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, it's a proper football autobiography in that I kind of knew most of the, you know, the broad brush strokes. But I also really liked hearing him talk about, you know, the New Musical Express and Mm. Italian politics and Italian lifestyle. And I think it was just actually a much more rounded picture of him than maybe you'd expect. You know, I don't... See, Brady is kind of a weird one for me, right? Because I I don't actually remember watching Liam Brady play football at all, you know? Uh, Italian 90 is basically my first football memory. And he was, you know, yesterday's man even then. Um, So... He's kind of always been the slightly curmudgeonly TV presence that, you know, sort of younger people than me uh, associate him with, you know. But there's there's a lot of really good stuff in here. And, like, the thing to to say about Liam Brady, first of all, is that his football story is genuinely very, very different to, you know, pretty much every other Mm. Irish footballer, you know. there's, cause the, there's the Italian there is, section of it for starters yeah but I think as well there's also like how loved he was at Arsenal for yeah, his, and the, yeah. his style of play yeah, like like it, was, it, was, it was the vision that everyone has as a kid of how they'd like to be as a yeah. footballer which not that many of our yeah, even and, our great players are yeah and you know maybe it's you know it goes back even to say reading Fever Pitch you know well, yes Cause I, was, like, I was about to bring it up yeah but you know <laughs> what I mean it's like Fever Pitch is one of the the, like the, the big like yeah. you know uh, formative North, texts yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. for people who love sports books and you read Fever Pitch and it's like oh well you know like there's an Irishman involved you know but it's like this Irishman sounds like he's you know Brazilian he's an alien you know? yeah yeah like that, that he, here is a guy who was literally such a beautiful footballer that like he pisses off on my club and instead of hating him it just actually like burnishes his legend it's like like, why would he stay with us you know he was so beautiful and of course he had to go you know so like 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 it's so it's such a different story to the regular Irish football story and then like so he goes to Italy and he plays with with Juventus in Serie A when Serie A was the biggest league in the world and it's like Brady or Platini. Yeah. Like, you know, like what the hell are we even talking about here? You know, Brady or Platini, you know? Um, you know, and like uh, Bonnie Eck is being mentioned and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge yeah, yeah, and like... Yeah. So yeah, so they're allowed, you know, like uh, two, one foreign player and then it's two foreign players, isn't it? Or whatever. Yeah. Two, but, like, yeah. but like Brady is like... So you're not just being signed as like, oh, you know, he, he helps us do... It's like a, literally a statement. He is our foreign player and this is how good we think he is. So there's like it's, the Italian thing is it's just incredibly glamorous and it's told really well in the book I yeah. feel and like you're 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 in that world and you can see how he was loved you can see also kind of how uh he loved it also you know like the pressure of it the lifestyle of it the 
it all just kind of chimes really nicely, you know. Um, There's an amazing scene just on that in his time in Italy where he's signed by Trapattoni. Yeah. And he gets there uh, and it, what, what Brady seems to do that a lot of Irish and, and British footballers don't often do is really get into the culture over there mm, to yeah, quite a large yeah. extent. You know, it's like, oh, you're allowed to have a glass of wine the night before uh, a match, but yeah. you're not allowed to have six glasses of wine. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, can, I can deal with this kind of thing. Um, but he does want, obviously, his home comfort, so he wants to be able to listen to his music and all. Mm. He's big into the music and all that and all that stuff. So Trapattoni brings him to some hi-fi, some Sony shop mm. to get him the gear, you know, to get him a hi-fi player, as yeah, I yeah. think Brady puts it. Then Brady tries to put it together back in the house, can't do it, rings Trapattoni and says, this is just wires, everywhere. I don't know how to put this together. Yeah. And Trap goes, oh, just give me half an hour. Brady assumes Trapattoni will send somebody. Yeah, yeah. Trap arrives himself, gets down the hands and knees, gets <laughs> the wires. <laughs> the, how did Trapattoni do in this room? Yeah, like, it's yeah. just such a great image. Yeah, but I, I think as well, there's a, there's a brilliant line as he's like trying to engineer the move from Arsenal to Juventus. And one of the guys in Arsenal says, but you know, Liam, like... You're gonna to have to uproot. You're gonna to have to move to a totally different culture. Uh, country, totally different culture. And Brady goes deadpan. Well, I've done it once before. <laughs> and so, I, like, there's a real like sense of I think his Irishness. You know, like that comes across really well in the book as well. That like he's it, it's not he's not one of those Irish players that kind of like moves to England, lives in England. You yeah. know, and like. It, it, it's all kind of like his Irishness kind of gets subsumed into like his life in England he's still ver- like mm. uh, the book uh, tells the story of his Irishness really really well I think as well I think that helps as well because it's a football book but there's a lot of football in it so oh, yeah. you know it's so a yeah, people yeah, who, it, it, who are that's what it says in the tin yeah, born to so be a people footballer people are coming no to these books and wondering what to expect because there is a lot of football in it um, but there's a bit more jeopardy in it than you would think that a Liam Brady autobiography will yeah. give you because of all those moves and he does get into his feelings behind them, how they happen, how the footballer has to be centrally involved before like the agent thing really mm. took over the meanings they had to go to when it was Platini in, Brady out. Like So for me, I enjoyed this so much more than yeah. I thought I was going to enjoy it. I was actually reading it at um, Other Voices and I was doing a thing at the, like, the, the talk festival part mm. of it which was full of like who I would say in my GA way, like people who are like very culturally smarter yeah. and intellectually smarter than I am. And I was kind of going around with a Lee Brady book with like <laughs> Lee Brady's like young face staring at the front. And, and I wanted to tell people, no, he's really no, smart. Really. Like it's really good. And he would he, love other voices. He would yeah, love yeah. this. As it turns out. And he does a really good job of, which I love when people actually put the work into autobiographies like this, really good job of setting a time and place. So yeah. around like what you mentioned around conservative politics in the UK, what's happening in Italy. Um, so it's not just anecdote after anecdote mm. or football match after football match he, he actually there's a lot of work put into this and I think maybe that's the two ghostwriters as well researched and yeah. writing um, you can really tell that there's been a huge effort put into making this book smart and and valuable to the yeah. reader and I, I think you come out at the end um, knowing about Liam Brady's life a lot more but just knowing the man a lot more as well even though he doesn't give away a huge amount about his personal this life you don't you, I would yeah. like a bit more and I say this I think every year about somebody's yeah, book yeah. like he doesn't mention how he met his wife Sarah or any of their and what? that's obviously a decision and, and he, he gets away with it because he's done so much on the other side but I would I feel like I want to know more about his other relationships as much as I know about him and John Giles because him and John Giles 
love each other. And I know and I know that from after that book. And it's a deeper love than you would ever like I think everyone knows that who's listening to this podcast that they love each other, but after reading the book it's it's, it's an intense love. Yeah. And that's that's a really great thing as a reader to come out of a book knowing. Mm. Um and there's probably a few more bits. That's my probably my only criticism. Well but the, even the flip side of that though, Murphy and I are Sinead and as I was listening to you Murph saying there's this great sense of his Irishness here. What I kind of took away from it most of all is that there's and this is what you want from an autobiography. There's a fantastic sense of his Liam Bradyness <laughs> of this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that that at every set there's not a bum note anywhere in it. There's not mm-hmm. a there's nothing there's not a word or a sentence that makes you go, that's the ghostwriter or that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's an mm. assumption that the ghostwriter made on his behalf yeah, or anything yeah. like that. There's such a they did such pure distilled Liam Brady. And the part the part that really kind of sung out to me in that respect, and, and I know he's talked about this a bit before, but it, it is the part about his it, taking the penalty on the last day of the season mm. when he's leaving Juventus and like... Being booted out of Juventus essentially for Platini yeah, to so, come in. Yeah. Exactly. So Platini is coming to replace him. He didn't know anything about it when it happened. Uh, there was a lot of thought that he would either not play the rest of the season, but he played the rest of the season. Season comes down to a last-minute penalty against Fiorentina. Uh, he uh, had agreed beforehand that he wasn't taking penalties, but the original penalty taker was off the pitch at this stage. He looks over at Trabatoni, and Trabatoni kind of shrugs his shoulders and kind of goes, "If you want to do it, you yeah, want to yeah. do it." But that in in Itali- it is part of Italian football lore that Liam Brady. The righteous Liam Brady yeah, yeah. stood up and took this penalty and won the won the thing for Juventus. And I, 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 I like, I'm a sucker. I immediately went to that part of the book to see how he would deal with yeah, it. Yeah. And like, I, I came away going, sure, "Fucking Liam Brady, of course this is answer." <laughs> yeah. He went. What was I going to do? Was I going to put it wide? Yeah, yeah. He was going, it really pisses me off over the years that so much is made out of that I scored the penalty. I was really nervous. That's the only reason I would have missed it. But like, yeah. what was I going to do? Put it wide? Sure, that would have ruined my career going afterwards. Yeah. Like, he, he just, just in the in the most Brady-ish, rock bottom, rock of sense kind of way went, of course I was going to score the yeah. fucking penalty. What else would I there do? Is, um, th- there's a very clever second chapter here because it starts yes. with uh, his de- his debut at Daily Man Park and all that kind of stuff. And then you're expected to go back to the childhood. It's almost yeah, just yeah, everyone yeah, does yeah, it that way. Yeah. But his second chapter is about his first book mm. called Liam Brady So Far So Good, which he wrote as a 24-year-old yeah. while playing for Arsenal. And he ends up essentially getting sued for libel out of it by a journalist and is up in the high court uh, so he recounts the story of being in court and the judge who seemed to be asleep, half asleep for most of yeah, the, yeah. Most of the yeah. proceedings. Yeah. Suddenly he wakes up. Chapter, yeah, but suddenly he wakes up to start reeling off names of his Arsenal teammates. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I'm all right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, it's a bit about football. Stapleton and O'Leary. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it does seem to scar him. It stopped him from wanting to ever write a book again un- until now. So it did. That gave me a little the heebie jeebies a bit. I kind of thought, oh, hang on. So that book sounds amazing yeah, when yeah. you were 24 is this one not going to give us quite as much I, so, I just so happened to have this book the yes, you're holding so it right now a decade in football I do remember being really good we spoke to him on our TV show years ago yeah. about it he spoke he had a whole chapter on the on United Ireland football team for yeah, example yeah, yeah. which he does allude to again in this yeah. book there are times I'd like to hear more you say about his personal life also you mentioned Mussolini, uh, the Italian politics like, he has a line about how a lot of the old people said Mussolini was great he used yeah, to be way yeah. better when he was around I would have sometimes 
sounds like they've heard that expanded on even a little bit more but and, and yet I he's agree, never, it's really and yet good. he's not Liam Brady would not do that yeah, yeah. you know you know what and I mean maybe like that's just that's, maybe yeah exactly yeah. Maybe that, that's just that was just his interpretation like yeah, yeah. what are you going to yeah. get like 20 minutes of but I but I think as well I look it's called called born to be a footballer like I love the fact that he's not obsolete like mm. you know okay he's just finished up being being a pundit but Bayako Sacco is still the or Bayako Sacco Bayako Sacco is still one of the best players in the Premier League he came through Liam Brady's academy yeah. you yeah. know he like his, the academy his, chapter. his yeah. absolutely like, yeah. like because yeah. for years you know like you would kind of go oh yeah Liam Brady's the head of the Arsenal Academy and without ever, anybody ever really knowing what that meant you know, like in any great depth, and yet you read it here, and like he talks about all these young lads as they come to yeah, his boys. And and yeah, that he changed his mind about, it and then he kind of knew he was at the end yeah, of it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. all of that stuff, and oh, yeah. again, and it's a giving of himself. He, he yeah, just, he decides, yeah. okay, I can't cut this guy; he's too yeah. upset. Yeah, really, really quickly, his management career. Like, actually, not something I ever really cared about, to be honest, but yeah. the Celtic stuff is kind of interesting. Well, the Brighton good, stuff yeah. is an eye opener for me. You know, for most of us, his time in Brighton boils down to, you know, if my granny had balls, he'd be my granddad. Yeah. You know, that interview after the Canvey Island game. But, like, it's this massive part of his life. He still lives in Brighton. He's still, like, hugely invested in Brighton uh, and he lives in Hove. Mm. But the, the Academy chapter I loved as well. And, uh, Kieran Gibbs sent him a text message as he was, like, leaving English football to t- uh, accept an offer in America. And uh, so he says, you know, I asked Kieran and he's fine with me uh, repeating this. And so this is the text message that Kieran gives. And this was a massive eye opener to me as well, like the chapter about mm-hmm. the academy. Dear Liam, I hope you don't mind me messaging. As my time playing in the UK comes to an end, I sit with the family and discuss all the amazing memories we've been able to have over the last 20 years. When we stripped everything back, we came to an important question. How did a lot, a lot of this become possible? Your name came up almost instantly as it was you who brought me to Arsenal and gave me the opportunity to fulfil my dream. I remember the day you offered me a scholarship like it was yesterday. And I remember all the other times I got a chance to speak to you and get little lessons and bits of advice that have helped guide me through my career to this day you believing in me and giving me a chance has enabled me to give my family a life we've never dreamed of and for that I am forever grateful and you know like it, you would never in a million years yeah. have thought that Liam Brady would have gotten a, yeah. a text message like totally. that from going back yeah. to your point that you made about Emer's book I actually wish I had read this or it could have been read mm. even a few years ago when he became very cranky as a yeah. pundit. Yeah, 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 I yeah. think it was like... That give, Kieran Gibbs text message alone would have <laughs> changed... Could have done a lot of heavy yeah, lifting yeah, yeah, for yeah, him. Yeah, 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 it would have mitigated against some of the yeah uh, thoughts in my head listening to his punditry. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely a book that has made a bigger impact than I would have thought it could mm. have on yeah, a, a non-footballing brain like myself. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Who's better? LeVar or Michael Jordan? Anybody think about no damn LeVar? Yes, they are. Owen McDevitt, Owen McDevitt. from Ireland's second captain show. Owen McDevitt, you're a cold piece of work. You're looking good. I know you're feeling good. Oh, and you're amazing. I'm like, yeah. 2,000 podcast recordings today and the second captain's show in Ireland. Owen McDevitt. Owen, I like you and I like your style. I hear you in your 40s and your bald head. Let's just put it this way. You are ahead of the game. Owen McDevitt. Hey, Jack Chapman, we're just about out of time. Been a pleasure talking to you. I can't believe it, dog. I know what 2,000 is. And that's a heck of a feat. But any man, I love your style. It's delicious. I'm Owen McDevitt. And I'm Owen McDevitt. He's a non-event as far as I'm concerned. Book of the Year show. Aston Villa celebration on the World Service. Big Sam on the World Service this week. All of that. And I'm only talking about one week's broadcast in there. Available for five euro a month plus VAT. Available now wherever you get your podcasts is the final episode of the current series with Richie Sadler who went to meet the great Damien Dempsey. Oh yes. How are you doing? How are you getting on? Good you well? Good. This is Killian. I'm Killian. Lovely to meet you doing? How are you? Is that big force on this? Says you. How are you doing? You are literally coming from the recording studio? Uh, yeah. Just a week long. That's great. Is that where the shooting is? Uh, yeah. I used to live down there. Is it? Where's the shooting there? Well, from the cop shop there. Uh, there's a big house there. Gates and I. I've been holding on the feelings From a wrong gone long ago A tune was performed especially for Richie and his fellow big fucker Killian, <laughs> producer Killian Down, who had a whale of a time meeting Damien Dempsey. So it was well worth listening to that one, Murphy. Will yeah, agree? It's, uh, it's, it's so great. I mean, you know, I've seen Damien Dempsey, I've hugged other men and friends in a, in a crowd at a Damien Dempsey yeah. gig. I, I understand that. Um, I've been there that which we speak yeah. you've S- been that similarly soldier. swept up in the Damien Dempsey live experience that's the final episode of the current series so do have a listen for it now thank you so much for listening to any or all of the episodes up to now do spread the word this is a nice one for maybe some people who wouldn't always listen to sports podcasts might not listen to Second Captains but they might listen to what Richie's doing so maybe have a word with those people in your life while you're signing up to the World Service well, have a course. word with yourself about signing up to the World Service and then maybe just put the have words with other people the, just have words with everyone I, I'm saying that like you're giving out to the, no no have, just have a quiet word in the sense of have a meditation listen I'm not telling there's you there's a lot of meditation yeah. there's a lot of yeah, Dame, yeah, I'm not telling you how Dempsey life, would, but I think you'd, yeah. you know, you'd get something from this exactly yeah. alright that's pretty much it I think thanks Murph thank you Will. thanks a lot the Second Campus Podcast is part of the ACAS Creator Network I said it you don't need to say a word Murph ACAS Creator Network ACAS Creator Network that's the second time it's gone off they never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second cap.
Captain's World Service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 